Today we begin a four-week series in the Psalms. During the Easter season, we did a survey of the book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the Apostle John is taken to a mountain where he is given a vision of the new Jerusalem descending to the earth from heaven. And what is the new Jerusalem? The church is the new Jerusalem. The church is the heavenly city of God on the earth. And when we build her up, we are building up the new Jerusalem. So from there, we turned to the book of Nehemiah, which is all about the people of God building a new Jerusalem. From the book of Nehemiah, we learned something of what it means to build up the city of God in our own generation. And now we are turning to the Psalms, and specifically, we are turning to the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were songs that, that the Jewish pilgrims would sing as they traveled, as they journeyed toward Jerusalem for their annual feasts. The Hebrew word for ascend or go up is actually the technical term for a Jewish pilgrimage. The people would band together in large caravans of neighbors and extended family. We saw that in Luke chapter 2. And they would travel together to Jerusalem, singing these psalms of ascent as they went. You see, the city of Jerusalem was built upon a mountain, Mount Zion. And so the journey to Jerusalem was an uphill journey. As they approached the city, they were moving higher and higher in elevation. They were ascending. And that's why these psalms are referred to as the psalms of ascent. But because the church is the new Jerusalem, The Psalms of Ascent have a lot to teach us about the church, what it means to love her, what it means to build her up, what it means to seek her good. And so today we're looking at Psalm 122, and as we will see, this psalm is a celebration of the church. It's a song of praise and thanksgiving for the church. Verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. The psalmist hears a call to worship. Every Sunday we begin our service with a call to worship. And the scripture passage that we read from varies, but the theme of the passage is always, let us go to the house of the Lord. And as we begin our time of worship, we are to understand that we are hearing this from the God of the universe. He extends a call to worship. He says to us, I'm inviting you to my house. And Psalm 122 shows us the proper response to that invitation. Gladness, rejoicing, thanksgiving. And so I want to take a moment uh, to reflect upon that. We're going to have some real talk. Uh, we're We're not thinking about anyone else here. We're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about our own hearts, okay? Is this how you wake up on Sunday mornings? Are you, on a weekly basis, glad and rejoicing and thankful to be called into the house of the Lord? Do you prepare for worship with due regard for its cosmic significance? When God says, come, do you receive that call as a privilege and a spiritual opportunity? Or do you sometimes murmur? Do you sometimes drag your feet? On Sunday mornings? Does worship sometimes feel like an inconvenience? 
Are you sometimes looking for a reason to stay home? Listen, I've been there. I know what all of those feelings feel like. But if I may, I and you and we all need to remember that the church has an enemy. Your household has an enemy. Your soul has an enemy. Whether it's the behavior of your children or feelings of depression or conflict with other members of the church or conflict with your spouse on the drive here or a mild headache or hunting season or another weekend away, please, those things are okay. I'm not saying they're not okay, but please do remember that you have an enemy. The church has an enemy, and you are fighting a spiritual battle. Hear and heed God's call to worship with gladness. Sometimes gladness is a choice. Sometimes gladness is a spiritual discipline. We may be tempted to be physically absent, but we may also be tempted to be emotionally absent or relationally absent or spiritually absent. But regardless, to be present and to be gladly present is a, sun, is, is a Sunday morning spiritual discipline. Do not allow your emotions or your decisions or your temperament to be dictated or influenced by your enemy. Fight the good fight of the faith with the words of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. With your mood and your attitude and your presence, make yourself available to God and make yourself available to his people, mind, body, and soul. Verse 2, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Throughout our time in both Revelation and Nehemiah, and now here in the Psalms of Ascent, we have made the claim that the church is the new Jerusalem. And so when the psalmist says something about Jerusalem, we understand that he is also saying something about the church. So how is it that we in 2022 can say Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Our feet are standing within the gates of Jerusalem. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. This is a very helpful book if we want to compare and contrast Old Covenant worship to New Covenant worship. Worship before Jesus and worship after Jesus. And to be honest, I I find this portion of Scripture difficult to teach. And And that's partly because the book... The the book of Hebrews takes several chapters to make the point that I'm about to make in the next 30 seconds. Um, So if anything I say is unclear to you, I'd encourage you to go home and read Hebrews 9, 10, 11, and 12 in one sitting. Um, And once you do that, I'd love to talk about it with you. Um, Hebrews 9 and 10, we are told that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all so that we could be cleansed once and for all. There is no longer any need for animal sacrifice or any ongoing sacrifice because by the blood of Christ, quote, we have confidence to enter the holy place. By the blood of Christ, we have confidence to enter the holy place. What is this holy place that we are permitted to enter by the blood of Jesus? We are told two chapters later in Hebrews chapter 12. 
For you have not come to what may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. It cannot be touched, but we have nonetheless come to it. Christians have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, and what we enter is none other than the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, the Jerusalem built by Nehemiah was was just a shadow of the real thing. The real thing is the Jerusalem built by God. And that is the Jerusalem to which we belong. In this very moment, we are standing within the gates of that Jerusalem. Or sitting. You're, You're sitting in the gates. The church is on earth, but the church is the place on earth where heaven is breaking in. The church is the medium through which the earth is being heavenized. The church is the umbilical cord, if you will, through which God is feeding the earth. This was true of ancient Jerusalem, and it's true of the church today. The church is the dwelling place of God on earth. The church is the heavenly base of operations on earth. The church is an embassy filled with ambassadors who are representing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And every Sunday, the church is invited into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, our worship is being united to the worship of the angels and saints in heaven. We cannot touch it, and we cannot see it, but we are standing before the throne of God. And this this happens um, in our liturgy immediately after we confess our sins, immediately after we we pronounce forgiveness over those sins. um, I say to you, lift up your hearts, and you respond, we lift them up to the Lord. And this is supposed to remind us that we are ascending into heaven. Again, having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, our worship is being united to the worship that's taking place in heaven. So, if we are bored on Sunday mornings, it may be that we don't fully understand what's happening here. If we are mumbling the liturgy or singing apathetically, it may be that we don't really understand where we are and who it is that we are speaking to. Our feet are standing within the gates. We are speaking and we are singing before the throne of God. The church is the reality to which the ancient city was pointing. The church is the fuller and truer expression of the city of God. What was true of ancient Jerusalem is true of the church, only more so. Everything that Jerusalem meant to the ancient Israelite, the church ought to mean to the Christian. Going to Jerusalem was the height of joy. And if we don't feel the same on Sunday mornings, we need, we need to ask ourselves why that is. What did they believe about Jerusalem that we don't believe about the church? Verse 3. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, 
as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So here we see that Jerusalem is a place of unity, and Jerusalem is a place of justice. Unity. The city is bound firmly together, it says. It's a a tight-knit community. Justice. Their thrones for judgment were set. This is a reference to Israel's judicial system, set up by King David. Unity and justice. In other words, Jerusalem is a place of shalom. Not just unity and justice, but wholeness and righteousness and peace and prosperity. The word shalom is actually built into the word Jerusalem. Yeru shalom. The city of Jerusalem is where the shalom of God is made, made manifest, meaning the church is where the shalom of God ought to be made manifest. The city of Jerusalem was a model for human flourishing, meaning the church ought to be a model for human flourishing. These things were true of Jerusalem, and they are true of the church because God is present here. And whenever he is present, there is unity and justice and righteousness and holiness and peace and prosperity. Wherever he dwells, the kingdom comes. But the reverse is also true. Whenever God's presence departs, the city is thrown into chaos and war, and the people are sent into exile. And so if Yeru Shalom is to live up to its name, the presence of God must remain there. It must be a holy city. It must be a pure city. It must be an obedient city. It must be a unified city and a just city, lest the Spirit of God be grieved. Verse 6. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Shalom be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, shalom be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We need the presence of God to remain, right? And so the psalmist prays for the shalom of the church, of Jerusalem and the church. Seek the good of the church. In verse 6, it says, may they be secure who love you. But in the Hebrew, it's actually more direct than that. It's not, it's not a hope or an aspiration. It's a promise. Secure are those who love you. Secure are those who love the church. That word secure means prosperous and at ease, free of anxiety. So pray for the shalom of the church. Seek the good of the church. In so doing, you are loving yourself. And in so doing, you are loving your neighbor. For my brothers and companions' sake, it says. Building up the church is an act of love to others. When we love the church, we make it a healthier community in which to dwell. And when we love the church, we make it a more, more attractive community for outsiders. When we forgive, when we hold our tongues, 
when we speak well of the other members of our church, when we give and sing and feast and serve, we are promoting the peace and prosperity of not just, not just our church. We're promoting the peace and prosperity of our entire neighborhood. We are standing within the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem. We have, in that sense, arrived. And yet, the church is still becoming herself. We are still becoming who we are in Christ. The church is the new Jerusalem, but our work is not done. Like Nehemiah, we are building the city of God even as we enjoy the favor and the presence of God. Even as we stand before the throne of God. And so we have work to do, and and God is with us. Back when Jesus first commissioned this whole building project, he promised to be with us always. And so he is. We cannot touch him, nor can we see him, but he is present with us. He is with us in the bread and the wine. He is with us in the reading and the preaching of the word. He is enthroned upon the songs we sing. He is with us in the laughter of children. He is with us in the, in the shaking of hands and the passing of peace. He is with us in the love of friends. And he is with you as you go on your pilgrimage back home. And he's going to be with you when you get there. He is with you always. Let us pray for the shalom of the church. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to come into your house, to hear your call, to receive your invitation, and to stand in your presence, to stand before your throne. Jesus, we enter into the heavenly holy place by your blood. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for giving us that access. Holy Spirit, please bear the fruit of divine shalom in our community. Please be palpably present here. Inspire our worship and our love and our service and our hospitality um, so that the kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.